So hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am your host, John Robb, joined here by my wonderful co-host, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how are you doing? Doing great. We have a fantastic show uh, today. We have with us, we are going to be talking with best-selling author, and if I read this correctly, I believe this is her 71st New York Times best-selling book called Outfox by the ever-wonderful Sandra Brown. So it's going to be, we are so pleased to be able to talk with her today. And we want to remind you that all of our, and we want to remind you first, all of our book, all of our shows are brought to you by Kensington Books. So visit KensingtonBooks.com. But Sandra, we want to thank you so much for coming on. And did I read that right? It's their 71st. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I look at that number and I can't believe it. But uh, but that's Gee, what it just is. Just to say you have 71 yeah. books written is great. But to say that sellers, jeez. This is uh, my 81st published book, yeah. Man. And the 71st. New York Times bestseller. So, um, and it never, it never gets humdrum, humdrum, you know, it's always a thrill. Yeah, it is. So we can say that. And thank you, Jeff, for the review, too. I appreciate it very much. Oh, you're welcome. I thoroughly loved it, obviously. Yeah. Thank you. So, and so you can pretty much say you got this author, this uh, authoring thing down pat now, right? Oh, yeah, it's a breeze. I have to keep myself from nodding off every day. <laughs> no, uh, frequently asked question is, uh, well, it has to get easier, doesn't it? And I go, no. <laughs> to come up with harder. seven. Yeah, you got to come up with seven. Now you got to come up with number seventy-two or right. eighty-two. Another story, another thing to tell in a different way. Yeah, I wouldn't think that would actually be easier. I would no. maybe the writing, but not the ideas. No, and the well, the writing. You ne- I never feel like I'm quite there. I mean, it's always uh, every day's a learning curve, you know, to me. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, I think when you, I think it would be death to any author who got complacent about the quality of his or her work. And um, and I was, I was telling someone. <laughs> Uh, on Twitter yesterday because they had quoted a sentence from from Out Fox, and it really it was a sentence that obviously resonated with them. And I I tweeted back and I said thank you for that. I said I remember that sentence and I probably wrote it rewrote it a dozen times before I was happy with it and it said exactly what I wanted it to say. And people were chiming in and going, wow, you rewrite that much. But I really do. <laughs> and yeah. so I feel like that um, it's really dangerous when you start thinking the writing is going to be easy because I don't think it's ever easy. At least that's been mm-hmm. my experience, and I can only speak to my experience. But in terms of coming up with ideas, um, yeah, it's a little bit challenging uh, for several reasons. But the first, you've cited that, you know, this is the 82nd book that I'm working on now. Um, but also the competition is so fierce and the competition yeah. is so darn good. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, reader expectations are high. And so you're really only as good as your, as your last plot, as your last book. And so I'm constantly aware of that. And then I like to keep them... And, you know, wondering what I'm going to do next. I don't want to become 
too predictable, you know, uh, to where, you know, the writing is, is boring to them. So each plot, I try to work something into it that I've never done before. You know, I've never tried something before. And, and that keeps me on my toes, but I think it also keeps the reader wondering, well, what's she going to come up with next? You know, <laughs> I, hope, yeah. I hope that's the case. Yeah. Well, let's, well, let's get into Outfox. What, tell us what you got going on on this one. Well, I came up with the idea uh, for this one. I can give you a specific. Uh, sometimes I don't have a clue where the idea came from, but this time I do. I was watching a, a news story, and it was about this guy, this con man, who was a career con, and, and uh, he had um, ingratiated himself into the lives of these well-to-do women, um, and then fleeced them of all of their money and usually uh, left them for dead. And then he would vaporize. I mean, and, and uh, it was decades. It has continued forever. And then once the FBI caught him on one crime, they started linking him, you know, to all these others. In a way, it was like a, a Ted Bundy situation, you know, where, hmm. um, and of course, Bundy was 30 years ago plus. And uh, they didn't have all the technology and, and the linkage, you know, that they do now. Uh, so you'd think, how could this guy, guy keep getting by with it? And yet he did. So that piqued my interest. And then I, I read, I heard another news story just a few weeks after that first, and it was a woman who had done this same thing. And she would uh, get into the lives of, of couples, typically, um, and become their best friend and their, you know, caretaker or whatever and do the same thing, but would completely change her identity, her location, and she got by it with it three or four times before she was captured. So I got the idea for the villain, and then I had to to have a protagonist, and I thought, who could catch a con but a better con. <laughs> and so that's where I came up with a character of, of Drex, and um, he had to be extremely clever. And then I had to be clev- more clever than both of them because I had to out-con the reader. <laughs> you know, I had to constantly be coming up with with tricks to play uh, on the reader. So it was, it was a challenge, but it was kind of a fun book to write because sometimes when I was – was writing a scene, I didn't even know until the character let me in on it if it was if it was reality or if it was just another setup. You see what I mean? So yep. in a way, it was really fun book to write like that. Well, I have to say, I thought Talia was also kind of a mm-hmm. con Shady. herself. And, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, she was just perfect to be in between the two of them. Well, I'm glad you said that because um, after I had the two, you know, the villain and the hero, I kept thinking, but who's the heroine? You know, where is she going to fit into this? Is she going to be another law enforcement agent, you know, that's been after, you know, this phantom and she and Drex? you know, become allies after him, or is she going to be an, a, a victim? 
a future victim or is she a past victim? And so I started playing with it. And I would be, uh, then I was thinking, worst case scenario, what would be the worst case scenario for Drex? And I thought, ah, <laughs> if she's married to this guy and then he won't the know. aha moment. If she's a, yeah, exactly. That was my aha moment. Is she an accomplice or is she uh, a, a victim? And uh, so that, of course, put him in, in uh, jeopardy, uh, not only of, you know, his feelings for her, but is she going to compromise this mission to which he has dedicated his entire adult life? So, um, and then once I had that, I thought, yeah, this is good, you know, and then I could see all the ways in which they would play off each other. And and she's kind of, you know, she's very reserved, and she doesn't tell everything, and he catches her in several lies. And, you know, so it was um, it was a real cat and mouse game, a mind game. It was a mind game uh, right. for everyone concerned. Well, I, I'm kind of curious, because when you first introduced Drex and you first introduced her, there was sort of like this, it got borderline stalkery, if, if I guess if that's even a word. Mm-hmm. How did you balance that line between making us really like him and liking them together without the whole stalkery thing going well, on? Well, and that was that was kind of tricky, too, because from a moral standpoint, you know, I don't have anything favorable to say about adultery. <laughs> and so I, I didn't want to advocate it at all. So I had to make Jasper really creepy. And, uh, and I think he was, he was key. I think that if, if he had been at all, um, uh, you know, a, a character that he, he made my skin crawl, you know, and, uh, so I had to feel like he was going to also be really off-putting to the reader. And so then in that instance, you know, uh, and, and just his, uh, the way he, was always kind of talking down to her and you know she'd come right back but she had already begun to have misgivings and and things weren't adding up and she was uneasy and he made everybody uneasy i mean i, I think he would enter the scene and and all of a sudden there was just this creepiness you know and mm-hmm. um and of course we know drex's motivation from the very beginning, and I, I wanted to introduce that early on. I think it's at the end of chapter uh, chapter one. It's the end of chapter one, or maybe chapter two. I can't remember right now. But where he says, "Is he the guy that you know did this to someone dear to me?" And so I had to let the reader know immediately that he wasn't you know, doing this for fun and games, and he certainly wasn't after this guy's wife, that he had a mission that surpassed even his feelings for Talia. Um, and so that that kind of justified everything he did. But I wanted that justification built in. Gotcha. You know, when you write characters that, like you said, kind of make your skin crawl and scenes that are very uncomfortable – does that kind of make you feel as an author, I mean, not only uncomfortable, but does it kind of push you to kind of see how far your limits will take yourself to go? Yeah. Um, I, I like to – I mean, I'm a pretty good barometer because 
I'm a I'm a great reader. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I read everything. I read all the time. And so I know when I'm in a story and when a book and when I go, are you kidding me? You know, or or mm-hmm. I'll have a reaction or I'll be reading with a grimace on my face and I'll realize I'm sitting here, you know, grimacing at the, at the page of this book. Um, and so when I'm writing, I have those same visceral reactions if it's um if it's a suspenseful scene or if i know that something suspenseful is about to happen you know my palms get damp or i'll be i'll laugh out loud if somebody says something funny um there were several characters in this book that i thought said some very you know funny things and i would i would laugh out loud or i get you know i get teary-eyed um at, at something so I'm a pretty good judge of whether something is working or not. You know, if I'm bored, the reader's going to be bored. But if I'm in the scene, then I'm feeling it. So, yeah, if it gets creepy, I want to feel like it's creepy. But having said that, there are some subjects, some subject matter that I just will not go near. And it's because... I don't want to have to live with that for a year. Um, I had started, there was a a terrible um, child abduction in my area, and, uh, you know, they looked for her, looked for the Amber Alert kind of thing, and, Mm -hmm. and they looked for her for several years before they finally found her and uh, and her, her remains. And then they arrested, you know, the guy and everything. But uh, it just and so I started doing online research about it, going back and reading all of the, you know, the newspaper accounts and everything. And I sort of, kind of had, you know, a plot developing. And then it it just it was just too uncomfortable. And and I because she was like seven years old. And I just got to thinking, do I, would I really want to, you know, put myself through this? And so there are some subjects that I would avoid just because they disturb me so greatly. And, and I don't think I would want to come to work every day and have to face that. <laughs> so no. I, I do kind of steer clear of some things. Well, and let, let me steer toward the romantic end of things because I, I don't know how you do this, and I'm hoping you can tell me. <laughs> Is this going to be a how-to? Oh, oh God. No, no, no. Jeff needs pictures. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Yeah, we can't crazy. do that on the radio, Jeff. <laughs> Jeff, this is radio. This is not TV. We cannot have pictures for you. <laughs> oh, shoot. Oh, no. What um, is it you want to know, darling? <laughs> yeah, come on. She's here. You you can make the sparks fly with your characters, when, especially in the romantic side of things. And well, thank you that's for really that. hard to I, I, do. I, I, that's also hard work. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. well, how do, how do you do that? Uh, I mean, you say it's hard work, but I I read other people who try and do the romantic thing, and it just fails miserably. It falls flat. You, yeah. yeah, you you do it so well. Uh, well, thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, I would have I would have to say that those those scenes are. Uh, as difficult to write as any scene, it, it, you know. And and if I'm 
if I'm writing a scene where it's multiple characters and and something dramatic, if it's if something dramatic doesn't happen to propel the story forward, then you shouldn't be writing the scene. I mean, each scene should count for some kind of movement in the story. Um, and the love scenes are that as well. Um, and so I work as hard on those as I do on anything, getting them right. But even harder than the love scene is when it's not the love scene. It's when it's the tension building up to it. And um, that's what I kind of have built my career on is the... The pre-foreplay. The, se- the, the tension, yeah. Yeah. It's the nice. awareness. Yeah. And um, and I, I, I appreciate your noticing uh, because... It's difficult, but it's the small thing. It's where they're saying one thing, but that's not what they're saying. <laughs> and it's where they're, they're, you know, they're trying to avoid thinking what they're thinking because it's got to be forbidden. If it's easy, then there's no story. I mean, if it's like they meet, fall in love, and everything is happy and wonderful and everybody's so thrilled for them, then why would you tell that story? But if it's difficult, and in most instances, I try to make it absolutely forbidden. In this case, you know, she's a married woman, for one thing. Second case, he doesn't know if she's a crook or not. And um, and she's a, a distraction from his, you know, single focus that has been the single focus of his life. And so for all those reasons, it's do not touch, and yet, you know the desire is there so build in the the forbidden aspect whatever the story is there's some reason if if he's a fireman she needs to be an arsonist (laughs) for whatever reason these two people have no business with each other and then the other thing is the you know it's the desire they desire it in spite of. And it's always what we can't have that we want the most. So, uh, um, uh, yeah, I build that in to the to the plot. Um, but then it's that constant tugging, you know, it's that constant want to, want to, want to so bad, but can't, 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 can't for this reason, you know. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Have, you ever written, have you ever written a scene or something where maybe you embarrassed yourself and when you send it out to like your editor and your beta reader, you're like, "Oh God, I wonder what they're going to say about that." <laughs> well, if I were that embarrassed, I probably wouldn't be writing it, or I would. Okay, I, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's a, again, I'm a pretty good barometer and um, a thing of my own, and I read, as I say, I read everybody else's, and there mm-hmm. are some things that I would read and I go, oh, I don't know, <laughs> I couldn't, I don't think I could have, you know. It gone that Dumbing far, out. yeah. And I think it's just like everything else. Everyone writes uh, to their comfort level, just as we read in our comfort level, you know. And sometimes it can get, you know, uh, a little edgier than we think we want, but we think, gosh, but this is really good, you know. And it can be not just from the the sensuality level, but levels of violence, levels of bloodletting, you know, levels of um, suspense or the um, what's the word the fear 
that it instills, you know. I mean, we, you know, writers push the right buttons. I mean, I remember reading The Silence of the Lambs. I was lying in bed with my husband beside me, and he was sound asleep. But I had to reach out and put my hand on his arm <laughs> because I was, you know, it, it was scaring me Disturbing. so badly. And yeah. and so um, it's it's um, I think we we all you know we stick to our our comfort level and whatever it is that we're we're reading or in my case what I'm writing. If it were making me that uncomfortable, then I, I wouldn't be writing it. Well, um, you write characters that, as one of your fans, I want to see what happens to them after the last page is turned, but mm-hmm. you write standalones instead of a series. Mm-hmm. Why? You know, that is a really, it's such an easy question to answer. It never occurred to me. <laughs> and it never After 81 books. <laughs> it, never, it never interested me. It never occurred oh. to me. To and I feel the same way you do, and thank you for the compliment. Because if yeah. you're if you care enough about that character to wish there were more and more and more, then I can sleep nights. I've I've done a good day's done work, you know. Yep. But yeah. um, uh, there have been several instances where a secondary character uh, would become. Uh, so vital, so so real to me that I think you know he or she deserves their own story. You know, I like them so well. I hate to hate to get rid of them. And I did write a trilogy of three family members, and I did I've written a couple of sequential books with carryovers, but I've never wanted to I've never wanted to write a series. It just never entered into my creative realm um and it would have been oh gosh it would have been i think a lot easier to sell to television and movies well i know it would have if you know if it if i had written a franchise like some of my colleagues have um but it just wasn't wasn't for me um and i i I, i've been asked (laughs) I've been invited to. I'm sure you have. But it's just <laughs> not my. It's just not what I want to but do. Nothing. Interesting. Okay. So Sandra, as we as we wind around, as we wind down here, so SandraBrown.net is your portal for everything, and that's where everyone can find everything out about you, and they can go to the Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest. Which social media, because uh, I know you're on Twitter. Is that the one that you probably do the most? No, well, Facebook, I have okay. over ten times more followers on Facebook than on Twitter. Uh, but um, I, 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 do tw- I do all of it a little bit. I, do, uh, I only recently started Instagram, but that has caught on faster than any mm-hmm. other thing, and I think the reason for it is just because you know more young people use it, and um, and so it's almost lapped my followers on Twitter just because you know it, it and so it has excel. It, it, it's the growth on that has been more exponential than on any other. So I use all of them to some extent. Um, mm-hmm. it, well, to a great extent actually because. <laughs> I, I sort of, um, and I have, I have people who help me with it, but 
I sort of uh, resent sometimes the time that I have to spend doing that than working on my manuscript because I still feel that the outreach is is so important now, a thousand times more than it was when I first started or even 10 or 15 years ago. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. been, you know, it's like a, a giant blue whale outside my office door that has to be fed, you know, constantly. But I still feel that the best thing I can do for my fans is write the best book possible. And anything that detracts from that, um, I kind of feel resentful of, you know, because I want to be pouring all of my energy into the books, not, you know, all of this other stuff. And yet... It's a requirement now. You know, it's it's absolutely essential. And uh, so I do it, but I do it kind of muttering under my breath. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then people, uh, fans, they say the dearest, sweetest things to me that just, you know, I can be having just an absolute rotten day. But there will be that one thing that someone leaves on my Facebook page or a comment on Instagram or Twitter or something, and it's just like my chest just swells. It's like, gosh, you know, this really was meaningful to somebody. You know, I touched somebody, and um, I made their day better, even though mine is really sucking right now. (laughs) I made their day better. And um, so that, that makes it all worthwhile. Well, Sandra, we want to thank you so much for coming on with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. It's always great to see your books coming out. And look for our review in the magazine. We'll get that out for you, uh, too, so make sure you get that one. Uh, But, hey, again, thank you so much for coming on. Again, the book is called Outfox, and it is out now. Uh, So make sure you go get it. And whatever format you want to buy it in, it is available. So make sure you go get that Outfox. Yeah, and we are – Anxiously, we're going to be waiting for the next one to come out, I'm sure, which is what fans <laughs> always do. Here's this one, and then the next and then the next quote is, when's the next one coming out? And you're like, well, let me write this one first. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for the thank opportunity. Thank you. You have a great you. one. Okay, All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.